Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. In this podcast, I look beyond the pencils, the brushes, the sketchbooks, and the iPads to discover what it means to be an artist. Join me as I speak to other creatives about their journey, as well as reflecting on my own artwork and experiences. Episode 83, Being Curious, Social Media, and the Joy of Watercolors and Acrylics with Alyssa Doggett. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. A few quick updates, and then we'll jump right into the interview. I wanted to lead with thanking, once again, all my Patreon supporters, as well as everyone who's bought me a paintbrush (laughs) through the Buy Me a Coffee service. I really appreciate all of you in supporting this podcast. I couldn't do it without you. I am still revisiting my Patreon tiers, so I will be changing a few of them. I will be removing some and adding new ones, which will include some time with me via Zoom, if you so choose. (laughs) So I am uh, spending a little bit of time thinking that through. I don't think the current tiers kind of work as I had planned. So I'm going to be, hopefully in the next month or so, be changing that, and I'll talk about it in a uh, future episode. So we had an Etcher giveaway a few weeks ago, and that was great. I loved everybody sharing what they would do with their new sketchbook. So we did have a winner, which I announced in a previous episode, and that was fantastic. And so Etcher and I are going to be doing another giveaway next week, and this one will be different. (laughs) So I'm not going to go into details, but it's important that you follow me and Etcher on Instagram, so you will be notified when that giveaway begins. So you'll have a few days to once again comment for your chance to win. So I'm not going to go into details about what we're giving away, but it is something I haven't used before. So this time, the giveaway will include two items. Going to a single giveaway winner, the intent is you keep one for yourself and you give the other one to a friend. So for your chance to win the giveaway, all you have to do is like the post and comment based on the question I will pose. (laughs) And then I will draw the winner on the Sunday before the next podcast. I will announce the winner on the podcast And I will reach out to you directly to ensure that I can connect you with Etcher so you can receive your prize. So, uh, yeah, good luck to all of you. And once again, if you are interested in Etcher products, please don't forget to use the code MikeH, that's M-I-K-E-H, for 10% off your next purchase. You can do that on anything in their online store, and they ship worldwide. So please check them out, and thank you once again, Etcher, for your support of this podcast and creatives worldwide. So it's been a few challenging weeks for me. I've got so much going on. You know, it. I mentioned a post in Instagram about this. It feels sometimes that life is testing you on how important art is in your life by uh, impacting you in various ways, shapes, and forms for your time such that everything gets squeezed and you end up compromising on creativity and and drawing and painting, which I have done. And I am okay with that. I was not okay when it was happening. I am okay based on my reflection of it. And I understand the way things go. And I'm feeling that everything that I've been through and those near me have been through in the last few weeks are something that will... um, that will serve to, to surface in stories and lessons and possibly art in future. And so I think that uh, all this to say, the podcast keeps going, 
My art took a little bit of a break, but it will be coming back. So keep an eye on my website, which I have recently redesigned. If you haven't seen it, go to mikehenley.com and check it out. And I'll also obviously be posting to Instagram as well. So I was able to do a snapping turtle, which uh, I did in a local coffee shop. So this is based off a photo I took of one that was near our pond. And the backstory on this is this snapping turtle crawled up on a rock in the middle of the day. And we think that it did that to kind of liberate the leeches that were on it. Yeah, it just sat there for probably a couple hours and eventually crawled back into the pond and we haven't seen it since. Uh, We do have snapping turtles, but you really don't see them sunning themselves. You really just uh, have to look around the pond and see the top of their carapace or their shell. And you know they're there. They just kind of sit and hang out. And uh, this is, I think, a common snapping turtle is what we have around here. And it's, it's kind of cool. So anyways, I decided to do one in watercolor. And that was kind of fun just playing with the colors and the greens. Um, very quick, but it was in a coffee shop, uh, Bridgehead, which I go to quite often here in, in our area. And it was a pleasant opportunity to kind of sit outside and uh, draw and paint. So that was kind of cool. I am uh, continuing my work on the graphite piece I've been working on for for a period of time now. It is a dog portrait. I'm not going to share anything more. <laughs> and I'm you may never see it. It depends. I'll have to speak to the client about that. And I'm also continuing on that acrylic piece, which is a sea turtle. And I may share some progress shots as I get more into that as well. And my perpetual journal took a little bit of a, a break, a little bit of a nap <laughs> while I was dealing with other things. So I have some catching up to do with that. I could leave the pages blank, but... It's my journal, and so my decision is I'm going to make sure they're not blank. I had pieces planned, and I just never got around to it. So uh, I will be uh, putting those in and documenting that and sharing it with you on uh, Instagram as well. So keep an eye out for that. The other thing that I am doing is I've put together a little bit of a setup now in my studio. I say studio, it's a basement office, to be able to put together some YouTube videos for you. And so I have about a dozen planned so far, and some are reviews, some are tutorials, and some are just fun and kind of education pieces. So follow me on YouTube. You'll see a link in my profiles in both Twitter and Instagram, and I've also got one in the show notes here. And uh, I'll be doing some streaming as well in the future on Twitch, and I'll share more about that once I confirm a schedule. I kind of, I did some um, live draws on Instagram which was kind of fun for a period of time. I may get back to that. I'm not sure. But regardless of whether it's Twitch or Instagram, I want to make sure there's a bit of a schedule that I can confirm that I can stick to such that it is something that you can look forward to, whether it's every week or every second week or twice a week. I don't know yet, but uh, I've put all of this together such that I could do more video work. And um, I'm going to probably have to point the camera at my own face. (laughs) So you'll see more of that as well. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that, but I feel that I have to do it. So that's all for updates. Now let's head into the interview. It's no secret that I'm quite fond of the ocean and the east coast of Canada. When I saw my guest's artwork, I followed her immediately on Instagram. I knew she was at the beginning of her career, but I could see her skill advance with each piece as she seeks to capture the beauty of Nova Scotia. Her artwork is incredible, and I can smell the ocean as I flip through her feed. What also caught my attention was her follower growth on Instagram. While an increase in followers doesn't necessarily sell more art, it certainly doesn't hurt. She regularly appears in my Instagram and TikTok feeds with her videos and reels, 
which as we know, require a lot of effort above and beyond creating the actual artwork. To talk about her creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Alyssa Doggett. Hi, Alyssa. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Good. I'm uh, so happy to be speaking to another Canadian. <laughs> and I've, yes. I've been out to the East Coast. You're in uh, Nova Scotia, and I've been out there a few times. Beautiful part of the country. And we'll talk about your inspiration later, which is largely landscape. But you do some other work as well. And I can appreciate how the landscape out there would inspire an artist to create such beautiful work as you do. I wanted to have you on because I've been kind of watching your Instagram for a while and I've just been blown away by your work and it's improved tremendously in just the time I've been watching. Thank you. The other thing that I've been noticing is your Instagram followers have just exploded. You were at 4,000 around March because I had commented that you reached Mm 4,000. I I think I was like maybe the 4,000th follower or around there. (laughs) And then... I just looked at based on this on this call that we're doing right now, and you're just over sixteen thousand. So that's a huge growth yes. in a few months. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was fun and exciting and overwhelming and surreal and <laughs> a lot of emotions surrounding that. <laughs> yeah, and we're gonna get into the social bit and and all of this a little bit later because um, mm-hmm. I think that's gonna be exciting for people to hear about and to explore. But I always start kind of at the beginning. I'd love to know the origin story, where you came from, uh, how you got into this. And uh, I'm excited to hear that because we always try to find the parallels with our own creative journey and Mm -hmm. knowing that maybe there's some comfort in what we're doing is right and maybe also giving us some insight in what we could do better. So I'm wondering for you, Alyssa, was were you always the artsy kid? Did you grow up that way? And Yes, I always loved drawing. My mom still talks about to this day how as a child I would just sit and I would draw and craft and color and make things for hours on end. I was so easy apparently. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that just continued as I got older. I found it really interesting that it was difficult to draw exactly what I see. So just, you know, anything in a room, for example, looking at a chair and then trying to draw that on an angle or like the proportions of it to make it look exactly like that, it it didn't come easy. And that's what has kept me interested in art for so long. Was there a focus for your art when you were drawing? Were you looking at things around you? Were you focused on movies or comic books or what was the inspiration early in life for you? I would try and re create cartoons now that you mention it I I do remember that as a child um, and I did have some how to draw books of the cartoons but especially just things around me like I even remember being on an airplane going to Disney World in junior high and trying to draw my family members right next to me I was just if I was bored I was drawing that's I was trying to improve my skills and just figuring out why is this hard, especially faces. Faces were always hard and intriguing for sure. Yes, <laughs> and they still are. <laughs> exactly, they still are. Is art something that you carried with you through high school into whatever you did after that? Is it Did it stick with you? Did you leave it for a bit? Um, no, it was always my favorite subject. I always loved art. I was in it um, all throughout high school. I actually started making my portfolio to attend art college uh, here in Halifax. It's NASCAD. I went and visited NASCAD. I was very excited, but 
some family members were like, well, what are you going to do after art college? (laughs) And, you know, the logical side of it, a lot of people think, you know, what kind of career is there in art? Right. So that put fear into me. And I thought, oh, like, maybe I should do something more secure, I guess. So I dropped that and tried to pursue a few other things. And uh, they just did not fill my creative cup up at all. So I was not happy with any of those things. And I still continued to kind of sketch and things over the years. But it apparently still found its way back to me because here I am. I'm apparently an artist now. So So when did you come back to it then? Like, what was that? When did it happen? And how did it happen? Oh, it's a it's a fun story to tell. I was working at a bank. And there was a restructure going on and everyone was extremely stressed out. So I went to a health food store near my house to look for something for my anxiety. And there was a lady there that said, this helps me, L-theanine, it's just an amino acid, um, but I'm also a meditative coach. If you ever want to come see me, here's my card. And so I just tucked it in my purse thinking I'm never going to call this person. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> And then months went by and I was continuing to feel more stressed. And long story short, I ended up going to see her for a session, which involved me laying down on a table and having my chakras cleared, which was very interesting. And what came out of that was that I needed to do something creative, which is what I had been feeling. And I had been feeling like I needed to paint, which I had never painted before. I probably did paint here and there in art, but nothing, I did not have any paint skills whatsoever. Like the first time I ever painted with watercolors, I didn't even add water to them. Like, I don't know why that didn't register to me because they were in tubes. I didn't realize at first. And eventually I figured that out. And I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) watercolors. And yeah, so that after that, uh, shortly after that appointment, I went on to do my first painting and I just kind of went into it with no expectations. And I learned a lot and I had fun. And then it was just something that I did here and there as a hobby. And then I was on maternity leave with my um, second daughter a few years ago, and that extra time that I had, I started focusing more on painting, and people started telling me I had to start selling my work, and finally I listened and made an Instagram account, and here I am selling my work. (laughs) That's incredible. Uh, That's the short story, believe it or not. There's way more to it, but yeah. Well, I think that's great that uh, we have that opportunity to to have to discover our creativity again, yes. and have that opportunity to explore it. Maybe looking at it through different eyes um, rather than you know coming up through the typical kind of art education system. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just I'm happy to hear of you finding this later in life, and uh, then being able to. To, to latch on to it as being, you know, an artist now. Mm-hmm. You found this, you decided to do painting, you were doing it as a hobby. At what point did you say, this is my job? At what point did you embrace the title artist? Okay, so at first, I didn't feel right calling myself an artist, which I know a lot of 
artists struggle with as well. Like I thought I didn't go to art school, so I didn't really feel like I like I felt like a fraud kind of at first, I guess. I didn't want to call myself an artist when I started my Instagram account. But I knew that if I wanted to be seen as an artist and respected as an artist, that I had to fully embrace that and call myself that. And truly, anyone that is creating art is an artist. Like, you don't have to go to school to be an artist. Clearly, I didn't, I didn't go to school and I am an artist now. But yeah, I, even on my Instagram account when I first started it, I didn't even have my name on it. I was just embarrassed and I thought people were going to think what is this girl doing like she's just trying to be an artist out of nowheres and uh, (laughs) I had people that were there and liking and commenting and supporting me and that kind of helped in the beginning because there's such a, a community on Instagram all encouraging each other and the point that I kind of started to really feel like an artist and I put my name on Instagram was when I did a painting of a local food establishment that was getting shut down. The original photo was taken by a local newspaper and they gave me permission to paint it and then they asked me if they could use my painting as the headline photo for their news article and I was like okay my name needs to be on my account now if you know so that my art is attached to my name. And how long ago was that? Oh, my goodness. So that was when I was painting with gouache at that point. So that was probably a year and a half ago, I'm thinking. Yeah, it's been two and a half years now doing this. So it's it's amazing. I just saw a piece and I'll link to it uh, where you showed kind of a wedding image that you painted five years ago and when you did recently and to see the progress is just astounding. You know, it's yeah, it is massive. And you mentioned you were doing gouache. Is, mm-hmm. Have you moved away from that? Did you start with gouache? Like you, you said, you started with watercolor without the water. <laughs> and <laughs> did you then move to like to gouache or so like what were you using then and what are you using now? So the very first painting that I did after I went to my chakra clearing cleanse thing was acrylics on a canvas. All I ever really knew of was acrylics. My grandmother, I used to do crafts with her when I was little as well. And she painted with acrylics. I wasn't like I enjoyed it, but I wasn't a huge fan. I don't think I cared for the texture a whole lot. And then I was gifted watercolors for Christmas. And yes, that's when I didn't mix water with them. And I lo- once I started to figure them out, I really fell in love with them. And it was very therapeutic, just thinking like water is therapeutic in various forms. And so I just connected with that and going with the flow of the water and, you know, how much water you add to it is going to completely change the color of it and how it works. So I loved that. But then again, through Instagram, I was following hashtag watercolors and I would see all of these incredibly vibrant and opaque paintings only to realize people were doing hashtag watercolors, but they were gouache. So that's how I figured out what gouache was. But my first instance with gouache was horrendous um, (laughs) (laughs) because upon my research was that 
wash is a type of watercolor. So you can use them together and you can layer with them. And for whatever reason, when I read that, I was trying to put the watercolors on top of the gouache and I wasn't waiting for one to dry and they were muddy and it was just a mess. So (laughs) then I became absolutely obsessed with gouache once I figured that out. It was very, very fun and tricky. And then more recently in January, I was doing an application for an uh, art gallery, the pre-shrunk show with um, Argyle Fine Art here in Halifax. Everything has to be size four by five. So I had four by five cradled birch panels and I was going to paint with gouache on paper and then adhere it to the cradled birch panel. But I just thought that is so much work and I wanted to get as many of them in as possible. The Mm -hmm. more submissions I had in, the more opportunities I had to get accepted. So I didn't want to waste any time. So I thought I'm just going to try acrylics on these and see how it goes. And again, it was a medium on a different type of a surface and it challenged me and I liked that and it was really fun figuring it out. And now here I am obsessed and have fallen in love with painting with acrylics on cradled birch panels. So back to acrylics where I first started and thought I hated because also anytime I tried painting with acrylics after having painted with watercolors consistently, it kept upsetting me that they kept drying and I couldn't add water to uh, activate them again because that's something fun with watercolors is you can keep reactivating them but acrylics you can't so switching from one medium to another is tricky and getting used to how they are different but then it's also fun relearning something and experimenting and yeah so your your instagram is watercolors make me smile it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> do you yes. do you have thoughts about that now <laughs> i have thought so much about that even when i switched to gouache i was like i love watercolors they started my journey but gouache is where my heart is i love gouache and then i'm like well no one even knows what gouache is or how to pronounce it i didn't know how to pronounce it so i can't change it to gouache makes me smile that just sounds ridiculous <laughs> um <laughs> And now it's acrylics, but I just, I have way too many people that tell me your watercolors make me smile. So I can't change it. And plus it also, that's what really to me started my journey with it. So I think it will always remain that even who knows, I might end up going back to watercolors, changing my mind. (laughs) Well, I I mean, water is part of all three mediums, so Absolutely. And I really appreciate you saying that. That makes me feel better. And I'm going to point that out next time someone brings it up. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I find that if you just call it gouache, people, I mean, technically, it's opaque watercolor versus yes. transparent watercolor. And there's some what we would consider transparent watercolors that are slightly more opaque. There's a yellow that I just purchased that is amazing as mm-hmm. a it's almost like a gouache in the sense that it's so opaque. And yeah, so I and and I'm trying acrylics. I've got a piece over to my left that I'm I'm starting um, mm-hmm. as well, and it is a challenge, as you say, when you're working with watercolor that you can go in and reactivate and just soften that edge as you bring in this other color. And with acrylics, mm-hmm. it's like I'm sorry, I'm done. <laughs> Move on to the next layer, please. 
Yes. Or when it was on my palette and I go to dip my brush in it again and all of a sudden it's dried. I'm like, well, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> it just, uh, I thought I hated it, but I just had to get used to it. And it's so fun. Let's talk about the watercolors a bit, both the, the gouache and, and the transparent, and then we can go into the acrylics. Because I think as as artists, we always like to talk about, you know, do you, uh, what what paints did you use? And, you know, what kind of paper did you like? Or, mm-hmm. or do you like? And we can talk a little bit about that, because that's always part of the conversation, right? Oh, what those brushes? What are those brushes? Why do you like them? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we all go shopping. But because <laughs> that's, that's part of being an artist, I think. So when when it comes to the um, the gouache and uh, the watercolor, uh, mm-hmm. the transparent watercolor, was there is there a type of paper, for example, that you prefer, like hot, cold? Um, I did like the cold pressed because I liked the texture of it, um, and I just felt that to me it felt like a true watercolor painting. If it had that little bit of texture, I don't know where that thought process comes from in my mind because of course hot pressed watercolors are also gorgeous and they're no less than one on a cold pressed but to me it just felt more authentic or something I don't know if that's the right word and I absolutely loved the the higher pounds that makes an uh, absolute huge difference um, in terms of it not bubbling up what was I using in the end there I think it was like 600 and something pounds oh the 640 i think is that right is that one of the highest one i get the pounds and there's the um well there's so there's the gsm yes that's what i'm thinking of yes yeah because i think most like there's 300 is common gsm and then 640 is the really almost like cardboard Yes, that's what I ended up progressing to in the end. And that is what I loved. I really liked, uh, I don't know if I'm going to say this correctly, because when I said it in Desayers, she looked at me like, what are you talking about? Arquise? Arches? Arches, yeah. Arches, yes. I think I said Arquise. And she was like, (laughs) (laughs) I really, really liked that one. And there was another one I recently used, Saunders, Saunders Waterford. They oh, okay. Really, yeah, I really liked them as well. And that was one I just kind of stumbled upon because the art store I was ordering from was out of the arches. And so they said, we have this one. It's very similar. It also was in bright white, which I love the bright white because it just makes everything so vibrant. So I like that one as well. And they're Canadian made as well. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And do you prep or stretch your watercolor paper? Because I've seen some people do that and most don't seem to. So mm-hmm. I never did that, actually. I used to tape it down when it was not the the highest weight uh, because it would bubble. That was about the most prep that I did. <laughs> I never got into stretching it. It seemed like a lot of effort that didn't seem necessary, but I'm sure other people would that do it and take the time to do it would absolutely say it is necessary. Yeah, I bought all the little pieces to make a little stretcher board to put my wet paper on, but I haven't put mm-hmm. it together yet. So I'm going to try that. I'm curious about. Please tell me how that goes. I would love to know your experience with that and how it compares to not stretching it versus stretching it. For sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a size that you used to do as a matter of watercolor? 
that you preferred? I would get the biggest pieces possible. I want to say they're 20 by 30. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would tear off what I needed. So what I was painting for myself or for my customers um, at that time, it was kind of early in my gouache and watercolor journey. So I was doing more so five by sevens and eight by tens. And then once I got more comfortable, it was my second year doing it. So 2021. Yeah, in year 2021, I said, this is the year I'm going to paint big. And so I did a few large paintings, which were the whole size of the paper, the 20 by 30. And I had a lot of fun with that. And now that's where I'm at. I like doing larger sizes. Like the smallest I really want to do is a 16 by 20. And I have a commission coming up that's going to be a 30 by 60. And that is inches. So, wow. yeah, it's going to be my biggest one. <laughs> that's going to be my biggest one. Yet I'm excited and I'm intimidated. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Were there certain brushes that you would go to for your watercolor and gouache work? I love the flat angle brushes. Those are my absolute favorite. I like that you can use the wide edge if you want to do, you know, cover a lot of surface area or large brush brush strokes. And I like that you can use the skinny pointy end if you wanted to do some finer details. So they're kind of versatile in that way. And I just use really cheap brushes. Um, <laughs> like Meaden, I I did at one point in time see advertisements for, I think it's called the Da Vinci brush. Have you seen those yes. advertised? Do mm-hmm. you have any yourself? I think I may have one or two. I have to okay, collect okay. everything. So. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, the ads, they looked absolutely gorgeous. The water and pigment pigment just flows right off of them. But then I spoke with a friend that said they tried it and it wasn't any better than just a cheap brush. So I never ventured into that. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on the Da Vinci. I know that I've got one or two Da Vinci's, but I haven't spent a lot of time with them because I stumbled across the Rosemary and Co. brushes from the UK. Mm -hmm. And I ordered uh, the travel brushes, you know, the ones that you can kind of, they fold into each other. And I just fell in love with them. And so I've, I've probably bought a dozen brushes maybe mm-hmm. more from Rosemary and Co. now because I just love all of their brushes. Okay. And uh, so I'm, that's what I've been using. But recently, I'm just grabbing it here. I've been using these. <laughs> so Yeah, I have not ventured into those, but I see them used all the time. So you're enjoying that. Yeah. So I should say, because people won't see what I just yeah. held up, but it is a, a Pentel water brush. And yes. I've just been using them because I, in the last few weeks, I've been going out to coffee shops and just painting at a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And this way my water is in is, is in the brush itself. And so mm-hmm. I've, j- I've been doing that at home as well. But uh, I do love the Rosemary & Co. I love the travel brushes. I just bought their botanical set of water brushes, or not water brushes, their uh, botanical set of, of like brushes for watercolor and gouache. Mm-hmm. And those are incredible because it's a nice mix of like six brushes. And, right. But um, I, I do have some Da Vinci. I have to dig them out and see and I'm not sure if I have it for my acrylic or for my watercolor so I don't mm-hmm. have a comment about how the how good or bad right. they are all that to say um, <laughs> but this is this is what's always fun is is trying to understand what people are using how they're using it and um, uh, sometimes it just comes out of habit like you know I love the rosemary co brushes but I I have this little kit I bring with me and 
everything's in there. I don't have to bring the other ones. And then I don't right. have to deal with a, a water container mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. So um, now did that take time to adjust to because I think you squeeze a bit of the water out, right? Yeah. As you're painting? is that how that works? So that would be well, it's right? it, it, it is different. It's harder to control. <laughs> I tend not to squeeze it while I'm painting. So okay. I will I will pull it off to the side within my palette and I'll give it a squeeze. I'll see the water inside it moving and then I'll give it a little brush and I'll figure, okay, is that dry or wet? If it's too wet, I give it a wipe on a a little towel and then I continue. But I never, the only time I squeeze it onto the paper is if the brush is clean and I want to go wet on wet. Right. But I would rather it get to the point where it's dry and you see that kind of, you know, that kind of if you take watercolor and it's too dry and you're trying to apply it to dry paper, it gets that kind of mm-hmm. blistered look. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd rather get to that point and add a little bit of water than have too mm-hmm. much. And I know a lot of people complain about water brushes, but the other trick I noticed too with water brushes is you want to keep the reservoir at least more than a third full. Because I find that when it gets down near the bottom, I think air gets in there more easily or something and mm-hmm. the water flows more quickly. That is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> the new the new age, you know, <laughs> watercolor brushes. Yeah, and and I've used the cheap ones and they work as well. I mean, just as well. Mm-hmm. And it's not that these are expensive, but um like the Pentel ones are fairly inexpensive and you talked mm-hmm. about Desire, they're available there and mm-hmm. and uh, there's other companies that make them as well, but uh, I do like working with those. And I'm wondering for you like when you're working on you know, you started probably small and when you got to these larger sizes with watercolor, not acrylics, but watercolor, mm-hmm. how much of a challenge was that managing a paint that wants to dry quickly over a surface that is massive? So I did do some large, I did five size 18 by 24 watercolors. Wow. And actually that was fairly early on into my watercolor painting journey. And I learned so much from those. Um, Actually, my husband had built us a home theater. And he said, well, you should make some cool art for our walls down here. The walls are all dark to help, you know, we have a projector and it's all the setup. So I said, I'm going to do like a superhero villain series. So I did Catwoman and Wonder Woman and uh, Wolverine and oh I don't remember what that villain is he's got the really long ugly tongue and he's muscly but he's like a symbiote he's like a good bad guy oh um, Venom Venom yes Venom and so I learned so much with those and actually at that point in time I had my favorite brush and it was the only brush I used it got absolutely destroyed (laughs) Uh, just frayed because an 18 by 24 with this one brush cheap brush and it got used for the fine details it got used for the large surface area And yes, the areas that dried up quickly, that that was a challenge because I do remember having you're going back over the area and then sometimes it ends up kind of adding another layer and then it's darker. So trying to get that uniform and now I'm trying to jog my memory on how I worked with that. And I don't remember how I did. It was (laughs) a couple years ago. I find I... I feel like I forget how I paint things and each new painting I'm approaching it, I have to 
relearn it, but it obviously comes back to me. Do you ever use a like a hairdryer to fix certain layers? You do? I never used it to fix certain layers, but I did it when I was impatient and I wanted to paint and not wait for <laughs> for it to dry. <laughs> yeah, and, and sorry, when I meant fix, I meant like fix in place, dry quickly so you can move on. Oh, but, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, that was another reason I ended up liking gouache more than watercolors is they dry just that little bit much quicker. And I guess I'm a little impatient. So <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you're working with watercolor and gouache, are you you're starting with this beautiful piece of like 300 or 640 GSM paper white how do you start? Are you drawing something with pencil as a sketch and then you're coming in with watercolor? And if you're drawing it, what kind of pencil and lead are you using for that? Uh, yes. So I would draw it out first. Um, and I was using, because now I'm saying was, because now I've switched to acrylics on cradled birch panel. So it's a whole other process involved with the beginning stages and all of the stages. But I was using a mechanical pencil and I don't remember the exact size, but one of the skinny ones. So that way I could get in the fine details. Okay. And so you weren't too fixated on the type of lead or anything like that because you would just cover it with your... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I wouldn't go too crazy on the details. I would just try to get in my rough part. Um, but some of it was more detailed. I was doing a lot of pet portraits and house portraits then. So that's why I had to have the skinny one, all those little lines and the details in the eyes. And yeah, but I wouldn't be going in with all of the little fur or anything and like that. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of artists that end up doing house and pet portraits at some mm -hmm. point. Uh, that seems to be quite a lucrative market, especially the pet portraits. When I first started, that was my huge thing was, okay, I'm going to sell art. Well, what do people want to buy, right? I didn't know what my niche was going to be yet. I didn't paint enough to know what I loved to paint yet. So then all of a sudden, I'm seeing all of these people. They're like, can you paint my dog? Can you? A lot of, I don't know where the cat owners are at. I painted <laughs> a couple of cats, but it's definitely the dog owners. Lots and lots of those. And yes, the house portraits for all types of reasons. People just bought a new house or they sold their childhood home. Lots of different reasons. People, I've done house anniversaries where it was their one year anniversary in the house. So. Lots of reasons. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, very cute. And so you've moved to acrylics. And so let's mm -hmm. talk a little maybe about that process, because maybe you can describe these panels that you paint on first, maybe, because I think I, I may have one of those panels here, but I'm sure many of the listeners won't. And so maybe mm -hmm. you can explain to us what they are and how you kind of go around that process. Yes. So the cradled birch panels are a piece of uh, like flat, thin wood. I want to say that piece is a quarter inch thick, but do not hold me to that. Okay. Um, and then on the back of that, they adhere a frame to it. So that way it keeps it up off of the wall or I guess your easel and they are so easy to hang for that reason and the frame on the back of it varies it can be if it's very large one then it would be one and three quarters of an a frame or I call them an edge mm -hmm. um, and then the smaller ones are I think three quarters of an inch 
And is there a limit on the size? Like, can these get large? They do go huge. I don't know what the biggest one is. I'm going to have to Google that after we finish this (laughs) up because I'm going to be curious how big is the biggest. But yes, I have a 36 by 48 waiting to be painted downstairs. And as I mentioned, I have a 30 by 60 coming up. I'm going to paint soon. So they go very big. I don't know what the smallest is, but they go quite small as well. They come in, I think, 63 different sizes for just your like rectangles. But they also come in squares and circles and probably other shapes I haven't even ventured into yet. That's cool. So what was it that pulled you to these birch panels versus canvas? When I reached out to Argyle Fine Art to find out about their pre-shrunk show, they do it annually every year. Um, Again, it's the four by five inches. Everything in the show is four by five. And it's not just acrylics on the cradled birch panels. It can be sculptures. It can be anything. And they accept for all around Canada and even the U.S. So anyone listening that ever wants to submit um, keep an eye out for Argyle Fine Art. That's every January. So wow. very fun. It's a group show. Anyone of any level can apply. And when I reached out and I was asking questions, the owner just said, we, um, we can order a bunch to help out with the artists. You can just pick them right up from us. And so I just, that was easy enough for me. That's what I did. And I just went from there. Do you prime the panel before you start? Yes, I do prime them usually two times with white gesso. I did the 30 by 60, I primed three times because I do not want anything going wrong with that. So I just thought I am going to just overdo this and then not have any hiccups. (laughs) And so when we're looking at your feed, when people listen to this show and and they check out your feed, most of the recent work is is Mm -hmm. acrylic? It it all is yes um i was still taking on some gouache commissions i think up until a couple of months ago and it was a decision i really struggled with because i still love gouache but i really just am loving learning and um improving my skill with the acrylic and i think that my style has really come out as well and I think that my technique has improved I just I like my art more and other people seem to like it more I get way more of engagement on my acrylic paintings so I'm glad other people are right there with me and feeling what I'm feeling that just makes me want to continue to pursue that more what do you think you learned from working with watercolor and gouache that you're able to apply to acrylic It definitely, I do think about this often, it definitely did lay some groundwork. And I would absolutely say the number one thing would be figuring out layers. When I first started painting, a lot of them went in the garbage with my watercolors and gouache because I did not realize how many layers actually go into a painting. Um, At this point in time, Again, I bring up Instagram because that's where I used to get all of my inspiration from before I was even an artist. I was following these other artists on Instagram and that's back when it was just photo sharing. There wasn't a whole lot of videos happening. So you would just see the photo of the finished work. And to me in my head, I'm just thinking like, oh, they just laid that down easily, like not realizing all of the layers that go into it. And then once 
videos started coming out on Instagram, that's when I actually saw the process behind it, watching other artists. And that's when I started taking my time and layering. And that's where things started to improve. And that's also what has carried over into my acrylics is appreciating the the layering and the building process. Yeah, I think that I can identify with that for sure, especially Mm -hmm. coming from gouache to acrylics. I still get my mind kind of cramps a little bit sometimes going from the watercolor work where you're trying to preserve the whites. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't preserve the whites as much as I used to. I Mm -hmm. I tend to come in with white gouache and use that because I don't like using the, um, what's that stuff called that you use for watercolor? Yeah, the masking, masking fluid. fluid. Yeah, I wasn't into it either. Yeah, I, I tried it and just, I just, uh, uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like wash is much closer to acrylic because you have that opportunity to go from dark to light if you choose to. Do you still, I mean, it probably falls into it fairly quickly once you get into acrylic to understand that you're going from back to front and from dark to light as opposed mm-hmm. to dealing with gouache or watercolor. Yes, that was the other thing that I liked about gouache too, is that you could go one way or the other, depending on how you're feeling that day. And that was absolutely the challenge initially when I started with watercolors. I remember trying to add in the white and I'm like, what is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize. And then, of course, I had to Google and it said you leave the white of the paper um, unless you do use the masking fluid or gel pens or white gouache on top. But yes, that is something that's also nice about acrylics is that I I can go either way. And I think sometimes it depends on the painting. However, I do find I tend to go from darkest to lightest. It helps block out the areas. And that's what I have seen other artists recommend as well. Whereas watercolors are the exact opposite. You work from lightest to darkest. Right. And with your pieces, are you, you know, if if we do a, a, a typical piece, let's say where you've got some rocks and you've got a lighthouse, I'm just looking at one of your pieces here. But mm-hmm. just as a point of reference, you've got rocks, a lighthouse, you've got a sky in the background. Are you are you doing the sky everywhere and then coming back up that way? Um, or do you add the sky and the clouds later? Like I'm curious about, are you layering things as you see them as well? Or do you? I usually start from back to forward. So the, and I, so the sky, usually I love my pieces to have a lot of sky. So I usually start with the sky and then I'll work my way forward. So in that case, I'm trying to remember which one you're referring to with the butterflies possibly, or is that my mirror one I'm working on now? I think uh, it's like your third last post. It's just a really small, the comment is adding some magic to a very familiar and popular lighthouse. With the butterflies. Yes. So that one, I think then I would have went in with the water and then the rocks, and then the lighthouse. So I went from the farthest back and work my way to the front. Okay. That's usually how I go about it. And previous to that, I would always do the main subject, and then I would do the background. But more recently, with the acrylics, I'll work from the back to the front. Um, And then I do find it easier because I can go in and touch up other places if I've gone over them accidentally where I shouldn't have things like that. Because I'm working on a piece and I'm struggling with this because I've seen some people, um, they'll start with 
let's say you're doing a dog portrait and Mm -hmm. you want a kind of a gray background behind a German Shepherd, let's say. Right. Um, So some people will do the German Shepherd and then come in halfway and put the background in Mm -hmm. and then be able to pull the hairs out on top of the gray. Right. And other people will do the gray background and and then come in with with that. So I just wanted to know your approach because I just... I find it all very interesting, and I don't think there's a wrong way maybe to do it, but I wanted to hear your way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's what composition is, right, is how we all build our paintings like that. And I do find that very interesting that everyone does it different and you're, there is no wrong way at all. Yeah, for me, I work from the back to the front, but... I don't do that every time because now I'm thinking about my wedding portrait that I did for the live wedding painting. But that was a whole other thing because I was under a lot of pressure doing it for entertainment in front of people. So I felt like I had to get more of a main subject for people to see the painting come to life before I could wrap up and leave. Otherwise, they were going to think, what the heck did this person just paint? (laughs) It's not a whole lot. So... That was kind of a one-off situation, I guess, though, where that was more the main subject and then the background kind of took like afterwards. Yeah. So you did this live painting. Mm-hmm. How big was that? Like how, how big was the canvas? And it, it was acrylic? It's acrylics and on a cradled birch panel and it's a size 16 by 20. And how much time did you have to work on it? So it was uh, the live painting was for the reception and we had not set out a specific amount of hours that I had to be there, but I painted for three and a half hours and I got not even a quarter of it done in that time. I was exhausted. It was 1130 at night. I had traveled there to another part of Nova Scotia for the wedding. Um, It was an absolute blast. I learned a lot doing it. And the total painting took 20 hours. So I took that back with me. Yes. (laughs) Um, And finished it. And that is very common. I had researched because it was my first live wedding painting. So I researched and looked at other live wedding painters beforehand. And it is common for them to not be able to finish it and to have to take it back and then send it to them. So what are you using as reference here? Is it what you see or is it a photo taken earlier on? Or So I got to attend the wedding, which was amazing. To, to be able to see what I'm about to paint and be there for that moment was just something truly incredible and feel the emotions and all of it. I loved it. So she specifically wanted to have a painting of her wedding guests throwing the flower petals on her and her husband as they walked down the aisle. And I am not a photographer. I uh, <laughs> I take some of my own reference photos and I do my best to take photos of my paintings, which I think still need a lot of work. But I was very nervous. So what I did was I actually took a video of them going down the aisle. That way I could screenshot the part that worked the best because I did not want to take photos and then them be blinking in the photo or something. I would just... That would have been horrible. And what actually ended up happening was, and I'm very glad I did the video because when the petals were coming down on them, it was creating a lot of not so flattering shadows on their faces. So the video went right until the end when there were no flower petals being thrown on them. So I was able to put together a few of the different photos into my my one painting and make that work. That's awesome. And it looks wonderful like it's... oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Would you do it again? Yes, absolutely. I would do it again. It was a lot of fun. And the the bride and groom were amazing. They had a poutine bar at the wedding. It oh, was wow. <laughs> it was very cool. <laughs> so I, I'm impressed with this piece that you did and that you're able to commit to that. I mean, it's I do some urban sketching where you go out and you just paint wherever. I mean, this that must have been pretty tense having your back to people as they come up and they're like, hmm, how... Yeah. Did you get a lot of questions? Uh, did you wear headphones so people would talk oh. to you? <laughs> like, how did that go? Um, so I do not like having my back to people. So what I did, um, it was at Picto Lodge and the staff there were incredible with helping me get set up. They said, just tell us where you want to go, where works best for you. For lighting, we will move what we need to around to accommodate you. So I was kind of tucked off in a corner a little bit. And so I could see people there. I'm very jumpy. So if someone was to come up behind me and like, you know, touch my arm, that could ruin the whole painting. So um, no, people were coming up. And uh, what I did not anticipate was a lot of artists refer to it as the ugly phase, you know, the beginning (laughs) stages of the painting. I did not consider that, which I know very, very well about the ugly stage, but I didn't consider beforehand other people coming up to me during that stage and what they would think so when people were coming up and looking and I felt obligated to tell them come back in about a half an hour it's still got a ways to go I need to add in some more details so I felt pressure in that sense to quickly get out of that and to get some more of the main subjects going on and yes people were coming up to me and some of them would just say Mm-hmm. and then walk away and I'm thinking oh my god <laughs> they like it do they not like it they think I'm horrible and then other people would say wow you're so gifted and um some uh, some people would ask me questions so it was nice to be able to chat about it I could chat all day about art that's so it was it was it was neat for sure yeah I almost feel that I've had people come up to me when I'm just starting a piece and they're like <laughs> that's good and I <laughs> I almost feel like, and I, I may actually do this the next time I, I'm serious about it, but um, I almost feel like you need like a clock, like not a real clock, but a round face that looks like a clock with a needle mm-hmm. on it. And you have this like sketching phase, ugly phase, mm-hmm. and you can point the needle at where you're at. So when people come up to it, it's like, oh, I see you're at the ugly phase. And that <laughs> way it's <laughs> it's dealt with. <laughs> Like, when do you think you're going to get to the finishing phase? Oh, come back in an hour. But I think just telling them outright, this is where I'm at. (laughs) That is a good idea. Absolutely. Because, yeah. And people that aren't artists, I don't think they understand that there's an ugly stage. I mean, I didn't. That's why a lot of my um, paintings went in the garbage in the early early age because I didn't realize I just thought I had ugly paintings but I just needed more layers um so yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah that's I mean you learn that through being an artist and working on things that you have to really trust the process like you will yes. tend to like I've thrown away stuff I've not finished items but then you realize later on you just need to keep pushing the the material onto the paper Mm-hmm. And trust the process, trust the layers, whatever you're working in, and you'll mm-hmm. get to where you need to go. Now, you could overwork something, but that's more rare, I think, than than just kind of giving up on something and saying, I, I can't resurrect yeah. this nose or this beak of a bird or whatever the case is. <laughs>
<laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's perseverance. And I remember talking to an artist one time because I had still been painting for two years at this point and I would still get stressed over the ugly stage and I would find uh, that I'd be trying to rush through some of the stages to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I remember talking to another artist that had been doing it longer and saying, do you always get stressed about the ugly phase? Like, is this always going to be a thing? Because I'd been painting for a couple of years and still getting stressed about that. And then switching over to the acrylics and then just appreciating it more and realizing that it's all just a a phase and now I, I don't get as stressed about it anymore except for at the wedding that was <laughs> because people were watching me live so right. <laughs> and when you're working with acrylics are you using any kind of um, additional medium mixed with the acrylics beyond water I have not ventured into that yet I do find that very intriguing um especially because I do paint outside sometimes on nice warm days and it dries very quickly uh, and I do believe there are mediums that you can mix with that to make it slow down the drying process. Um, and I do know there are different mediums you can mix with it to add texture. And that there's so many different things I could be doing, which I'm still, I still feel like I'm learning acrylics and I feel like I haven't gotten bored of them yet. So I don't need to really get into that yet. Like I right. still need to tackle them. Have you done any of that? I've tried some... Um... I think it's called glazing fluid, glazing liquid from uh, Open, and it does mm -hmm. make a difference in the drying time, and it okay. and it also means that you can put in th much thinner kind of layers with this, and so I really haven't spent a whole lot of time on it. I'm not even done my first acrylic piece, so I am not an authority, but I did buy some of it because people were saying, if you want to really bring in some some really nice thin layers using mm -hmm. this material helps to keep everything kind of wet for a bit as you kind of spread it out. And so I thought <laughs> I'd try it, but I, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Either do I. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing, but that's all of the fun in it. And I feel like that's the best way to, to learn it is to just, that was one thing I had to get over when I first started as well as I had these silly little rules in my head that I couldn't do certain things with my art. And I feel like when you just kind of don't know what you're doing and you start from scratch like that with no rules, then it's just, it's really amazing. Just like kids, they have no rules when they create art. And they, they I swear, they're all artists. They're incredible when I watch my kids make things. There's no rules. Yeah. Like, for example, when I first started with the watercolors and I was doing the, um, superhero supervillain series I did Wonder Woman and she has all of the lines on her armor and I was like there is no way I'm going in and painting all of these super fine lines with my watercolors that's just going to be so much effort so I had in my head that I cheated when I did this as I used um, colored pencils for the fine lines and I told someone, I was like, yeah, I cheated. And I kind of felt shameful about it, I guess, the way. And they were like, how is that cheating? You still made this. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. And now, of course, I know that's mixed media. It's not cheating at all. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think, uh, I think people are too hard on themselves for sure when it comes to that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And yeah, people think, you know, 
using a projector is cheating. And I used to think that too. I haven't used a projector, but I know lots of professional artists that do. And I, I do not think it's cheating anymore. You're still, you still need to apply all of your skills on top of that. That's just one, yeah. one part of it, right? Yeah. I mean, you can use a projector. I had an artist on here who uses an app called DaVinci. Mm-hmm. which works on your iPhone and it projects an image onto a piece of paper. So you can, through your iPhone, you can draw or paint and it works for murals too. So you can use an iPad for your, for a mural that you're putting on a wall instead of a projector. So that's kind of a neat, uh, a neat approach to it versus using a projector or, or a grid system. So let's talk a little bit about like your growth has been exponential on Instagram Mm-hmm. And I'm always curious about that bit because so many people measure their success based on how many followers or likes or whatever, which doesn't pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice, but it doesn't pay the bills. You've been really increasing your number of followers. I'm wondering, has that been a, an intentional strategy in how you've been doing that? Is there something that we can learn from how you're doing it? Because I see so much of you, and maybe that's part of it, on on Instagram and on TikTok all the time. So how did you go from four to 16,000? All the time. Yes, all the time. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it is a whole other job creating content. And uh, was it my goal to get more followers? Not necessarily more followers, because more followers does not necessarily equal more sales. Um, but I knew from the get-go in order to get my name out there as a new artist that um, building up my reputation and my presence online was going, I need, that was what I needed to do because I was not in the art community and I needed to get in front of potential buyers and customers and show my work. And Instagram is such an amazing platform for just going on and seeing basically your gallery, your portfolio. Um So when I started Instagram, it was all photos. And then I'm seeing everyone, all of these social media coaches I was following, they were saying, you need to do reels. You need to do reels. They have the farthest reach. That's what people want to watch. It's entertaining. So then I started filming the reels and um, took a while to figure out what people wanted to see Uh, Because you watch other artists and you get ideas, but what works for them isn't going to work for you and for your audience. Um, So just one time I ended up filming a video of me standing there. I said, hi, my name is Alyssa. I'm an artist from Halifax. I painted this for my customer in Ontario And I turn it around and it's, you know, the sunset with the Canadian flag. And that just was my most watched reel at that point. Um, And that's what I do now, because that's what a lot of I just spin my painting around and people love that. (laughs) People go for that rather, you know, before that I was trying to do these cool transitions because the people say do the transitions, catch people's attention. Um, And by transition, I mean, maybe like snap your fingers and then you're holding a piece of art or you're starting with a blank page and you tap it and then it's a painting. Um, that works really great for some artists, but that is not what was working for me. And so, yeah, that's what I do now. And that worked. And, um, when I first started TikTok, I did not understand it at all. Um, it seemed like all people wanted was 
the trends. So I was posting doing the trends a bit and I wasn't really putting a lot of effort into it. But then I felt my Instagram slow down. This was before the 16K followers. Um, This was probably in this was in the winter. I felt that slow down and I didn't really feel like much was happening. So I started pumping out more TikToks and I got a better feel for it and I could repurpose my TikToks into Instagram and that would save time. Um, and a bunch of people followed that follow me on TikTok, came over to Instagram, and that's kind of what first started increasing me on Instagram. And then it was that video where I spun it around and I've just kind of continued to do that. And it just kind of, whenever I post one of those, I just keep getting more follows. So Yeah. And it's amazing because I look at your reels and they're pretty consistent. Like what's what's neat about this is you've got 16,000 followers, but your reels are all, you know, fairly consistent around five to 6,000 plays. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that anything went viral and you got 10,000 followers. It's just steady growth, consistent growth. And obviously you figured out what people like. And receptive to the fact that maybe what you were doing, people didn't like. And I think that's a Mm -hmm. challenge as well as an artist is accepting that maybe that other thing didn't work until you try something new and then compare the two, right? So Exactly. Yes. And I think that it is important to stay true to yourself as an artist and as a creator. But I did also see something one time and it said that you don't get to decide what work of yours is good. Your audience is going to decide that. So if you film something or make something and you think it's garbage, you should probably still post it because other people might love it. And I have felt that too. I have had paintings of mine that I did not care for. And other people absolutely loved. And same goes with the opposite. I have had ones that I absolutely loved that I thought people would go crazy over. And no, they did not. (laughs) So you really never know what is going to stick with people. (laughs) Do you struggle with, just uh, along with that, do you struggle with this idea of artist versus content creator? And by that, I mean, where you have success with something that you've posted on Instagram, because it goes great with reels or it, mm-hmm. it 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 explodes on on tiktok and then you think as an artist i like that piece i may do another one but i'm not sure but the content and creator in you says oh wait a sec i need to do more art like that but i don't really want to do you feel that social platforms kind of control or, or start to weigh in on what you do next um make more i don't feel that it necessarily makes me want to make more like that. But I do sometimes feel pressure to be posting. Like I don't even feel that I want to post photos anymore on Instagram because they get far less reach and engagement as opposed to reels. It just feels so pointless. Um, And I also just find it so much easier to post videos now because I can repurpose them from TikTok, or I can just quickly film a part of my process and then post that rather than having to stop and take photos of it. But I'm sure there's other people that absolutely feel photos are easier. And I did feel that at one point in time. I'm just so used to that now. But no, I don't feel pressure to to keep creating the same thing, just, just pressure to post. And when something does really take off and you get a lot of views and 
therefore a lot of messages and emails and comments and things, there is a burnout that follows that, that creators do talk about where, yeah, you feel pressure and you just feel like kind of exhausted from, from dealing with it all. But it's because it's exciting, but it's overwhelming. And yeah, then you just are like, oh, well, I need to create, keep posting stuff now. <laughs> keep it going. And are you doing this all with your iPhone? Yeah, I do it all on my iPhone and my ring light. <laughs> <laughs> and what and what are you using to, can I ask what app you're using to pull it all together? Are you doing it within Instagram? Or are you doing it some other app and then bringing it over? So I do try to film it in right in Instagram. I have read mixed things that it will push your content more if it's filmed and edited right within it. I don't know how true that is because I have seen plenty of TikToks get put onto Instagram and perform really well. So I think if the content is that appealing to people, then it'll get pushed anyways. But I absolutely hate editing in in Instagram. A lot of people know how glitchy it is, unfortunately. I have found it a little better recently, but I really just try to keep mine as simple as possible. People don't go for any of the ones that I put a lot of effort in. They don't go no one's interested in those ones. So I just keep it super simple. And uh, yeah, I film right on Instagram. The odd time I will download it and then I'll, I might speed it up in another app called Splice. Okay. Um, I don't know if I pay for that one or if it's free or not, but I do find that one handy if anyone wanted to edit outside of these platforms then Splice is a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've actually created a reel within Instagram. I've always done it, except the I I, I add the music, like I'll yes. do, I I do the video, but I do usually use LumaFusion is what I've been using, which is a full kind of video editing suite that works on iPad as well as as uh, iPhone. But it's okay. just because I'm used to doing that stuff. I I tried I think the Instagram video once, and it's like I can't, like it just it doesn't do what I want it to do. No, it it has come a long way. But I know like at one point in time, it was posting people's cover photos upside down from the reels. And it's like, what is going on here? <laughs> like, and you might, <laughs> oh my God, there were some that actually looked really cool, like almost intentional. But uh, yeah, and then sometimes there were times where I filmed something and then Instagram deleted it. And yeah, you always want to save your drafts because uh, if you reset the app or download the new one, then you lose all of your drafts. And that can be very frustrating. (laughs) Good point. Yeah. (laughs) Are you always mindful about when you're creating a piece that I should be maybe video, I'm going to say videotaping, that shows my age, that I should be recording this bit right now? Mm -hmm. Are you always thinking about that? Is there a voice in the back of your head saying? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I don't record the whole thing, but little snippets I will, and then I'll put it together. Um, Because in terms of content creating, I've kind of learned that you should film everything. Your packaging, you can film your just little bits of your day, bits of your process. You can even show how you create content. Like any of it can be content, and then that can help put you out into social media world. (laughs) So I'm going to go back a step to your tools and then we'll continue this because I'm looking at your Instagram feed and I meant Mm -hmm. to ask you this, but do you use a wet palette when you do acrylics or 
I do not. Okay. No. Tell me about that. I was <laughs> <laughs> so I've I've had people kind of go both ways. So I have a wet palette, um, which is uh, it's a stay wet palette. I bought it through I don't remember, um, but it is basically almost like a like a Tupperware container, and okay. there is a piece of foam on the bottom, like a almost like a chamois, and then mm-hmm. on top of that, there's almost like a wax paper, and you kind of soak the chamois, and uh, the wax paper you want dry, but it does pull up some moisture from the wet chamois below it. And then you put your paint directly on that. So the way it works is you add your paint to this box and then you use it. And then when you want to stop using it, you put the lid back on and it keeps it wet and it'll keep it wet for days. I need that. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> I'll send it to you. I, I bought, I had another acrylic artist on here and she doesn't use that. She uses this and I forget what it's called but it's almost like a flexible palette and it's just a piece of plastic but the nice thing about it is when you after your acrylic dries you can just bend it and the acrylic comes off like it's it's a really nice surface for removing the paint right but it does it does nothing to keep it wet but the stay wet palette does and for the times I've used it once again first painting um, it's made a huge difference when I was comparing that against just using a, a regular kind of dry palette so it it does two things. It keeps your paints kind of in this, I don't want to say water bath, but in a moist mm-hmm. area, and then mm-hmm. you can store them. So there's two things. It keeps it more wet as you're working with it. But uh, I don't know. I, I was just curious because I saw your, your palette in front of you there, and I'm thinking, well, I can't tell it what she's... Okay. <laughs> so that's good. No, I have a couple of clear plastic palettes that I had just cheap ones off of Amazon that are just so full of paint. I've even had people comment on my videos saying, do you have enough paint on those? <laughs> because it's plastic. So it doesn't cut acrylic on plastic doesn't come off as far as I'm aware. I know it can come off glass. Like there's glass palettes, which I've looked into, but I didn't really get far with that search. And yeah, that I'm interested in, in that other well you said hers is on plastic didn't you yeah it's this and and i unfortunately listeners can't see this but it's it's basically a almost like a plastic tv tray okay and um i haven't tried it yet but she she swears by it and she says you can just peel the paint the acrylic off okay interesting yeah i'll i'll include a link for that in the show notes and i'll send you the link for the to the um the stay wet palette as well because that's thank you yeah so that was, I, I, sorry, I saw that and I'm thinking, I, I'm really curious now. It's one of these things, right? Where it's like, what's that thing you're doing over there? Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. So is there, like in building up this, back to social media and building up this following that you've had, is there anything you would have done differently in, in doing this? Um, I don't think so. Everything that I did leading up to it, I learned from. So I think it was a part of, my journey, I guess, in learning how to do it. Um, I will tell you or tell anyone listening, never pay for followers. I never did that. I saw the social media coaches post about it because I did not even know that is a thing, but it is. You can pay for followers, but it severely hurts your account because it is bots, I think, fake accounts, and it is not going to 
Instagram pushes your content out to a small percentage of people that follow you. And based on how they engage with it, then it will push it out to more people that do not follow you. So if it's pushing it out to fake accounts that are not going to engage with your and the wrong type of accounts, people that aren't even or fake accounts that aren't interested in art, then it's not going to put it out to the right people that do want to see your art. It's going to continue to put it out to weird fake accounts. (laughs) Do you block accounts at all? Oh, all the time. I keep getting these darn Forex trader Bitcoin accounts following me every day. And I keep going and I report them because first of all, I think they're they're using other people's photos because they're posting these apparently rich men with Ferraris and Bugattis or whatever cars they are. I know nothing about cars. I know these aren't the people behind these Forex trading accounts. So they're stealing people's content. And I think that it's um, spam. And then I block them 100%. I don't want them following me because they're not going to buy my art. (laughs) So on that bit, you do a lot of commissions. I get a commission request about every second or third day through Instagram. Amazing. But I think they're all fake. (laughs) Because... I have a few commissions, but I'm not, I'm, this, this wasn't a boast thing I was doing. My, my point was more because <laughs> anytime I get one of these, I look at it and it's like, you know, can you do a, a drawing for my son or uh, can you do something for my wife? And I look and these people have no posts mm-hmm. and immediately suspect what kind of process do you go through beyond I need half up front? Um mm-hmm. Is that what kind of puts these people at bay, the ones that are just kind of trolling you a little bit? (laughs) So that the half up front, I learned that one within the first couple of months of starting commissions is some people would message, they'd be excited, they would want to get a painting. So I would add them to my list, which was the smallest at that time, but still a list. And so I would message them when it was time to start. And then they would say, Oh, I think I'm going to hold off for a bit, maybe for Christmas, maybe save up. And so then I was holding that spot for someone that wasn't really going to get the painting anyway. So that's when I started taking the deposits to weed out those people and save my spots for people that really were going to follow through with it. At first, I took small, like $50. Now I take 50%. And that makes a big difference. I absolutely do not accept check, never accept a check. I used to work at a bank, as I mentioned. So I learned a lot there. I can usually smell a scam pretty early on. So that is one thing I take away from there. And I did have a couple of times a person from two different accounts. So they must have like, a room full of these people doing it somewhere. Mm -hmm. Hi, I want to have a painting done for my son. His birthday is next week. I want it to have Batman and PJ masks and someone else in it. And I know tons of other artists that have gotten the same message because they've all posted about it now. I am willing to pay 300. And just the fact that they threw out right from the get-go how much they're willing to pay, that is not very common. I don't know if I've ever had anyone. Some people will upright say, my budget is around this. Can you work within that? But it was just weird. I think that they are preying on artists that are starting out and then they're going to go, $300, this is amazing. But so that was sketchy. Also that it was tight. They needed it within a week, I said. And I figured it was a scam, but I wanted to go along with it just to see where it would go. 
And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm booked up for the next month. I wouldn't be able to do this within a week. And the person had the gall to tell me that I should do it on um, digitally so that way I can get it done in time for them. (laughs) I could not believe it. Like they are brazen, which I don't, I have never done digital art. I don't know how to. And if someone's going to be pushy with me, that is not a customer that I want. I absolutely would not do that. And anyways, they did say they could wait and then they wanted to pay with a check. I could deposit it via mobile. When I said I don't accept check, they were a little cranky with me and said that is their only form of payment because they are a business and blah, blah, blah lies. I'm trying not to curse as I say (laughs) because it is so irritating that they prey on people like that. But in terms of weeding that out, anyone that messages me, there's just kind of a flow to the conversation. They tell me what they're looking for. They know about the deposit. I haven't had any issues with being scammed. Knock on wood. (laughs) 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 And some of the people that message me, they don't have profile photos and they don't have many photos. And I think that is just maybe some of the people that go on just to look at content, but they don't really want to um, post or they want to see what their family members are up to. So that that does happen. I can usually spot a fake account as well. And if it does look fake, then I I'm careful. And sometimes I will try and Google the person and see if I can find them on LinkedIn or something to validate that they're real. Yeah, I had that, um, you know, do something for my son message last week from somebody. Yes, same. Yeah. Same exact uh, approach. It's crazy. You'll probably get it again from a different account because (laughs) they can't keep track of who they've messaged. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) You seem like you're so grounded and you're so positive in everything that you do. How have you avoided the negativity that's around social media? Um, the first troll I ever had really upset me. That would have been last summer. And I had landed my biggest commission yet, biggest size, biggest price. Um, and I was excited and I made a TikTok about it. I wasn't like bragging or anything. It was just celebrating it as I would congratulate any of my artist friends on that because it's all, all of these things adding up is just exciting little success stories for us um, in our our art journey. Um, And this person commented, it was, you know, like an unknown user with a bunch of numbers. And I think it had like a weird monster with one eye for the profile photo or something. And they commented telling me not to spend the money all in one place because $100 doesn't go far or something. So they, yeah, they really (laughs) just... They saw me up here excited and they wanted to bring me yeah. down here. And it really hurt me because I would never go out of my way to hurt another person. So to try to wrap my head around someone else trying to do that is just you cannot be you cannot. A nice person doesn't do something like that. And someone that is happy with themselves doesn't do something like that. So I responded and I shouldn't have, they say, don't feed the trolls. And what they came back with, I can't remember, but that upset me even more. And then I ended up blocking them and it kept me up at night. And then fast forward to now, you know, I'm, 
I'm consistently booked up and I've been in a couple of galleries and I have repeat customers. So like the proof is in the pudding for me. And I have that affirmation that whatever these trolls have to say, it doesn't matter. They're not my customer. Other people like what I'm making and this is my job. So (laughs) I just, I honestly laugh at them now. And I even pinned one one time so other people would see it. And (laughs) I don't know if it's the right thing to do. I thought like, you know, it was funny. And other people did end up thinking it was funny because then people actually were commenting on that person's comment that was saying my art sucked. And they were like, are you serious? Let me see you paint something like this. And so that actually kept the comments going and pushing out my reel to more people. So the troll was helping me. And it's like, they're not that swift. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Like I've, you know, it's, it's wonderful to have somebody like you on the podcast who you could see is going to have a fantastic career in art. And you can see that in how much your art has changed in the last short period of time Mm -hmm. and how devoted you are to it and how core it seems to who you are so I'm excited about what happens in the next three to five years it's gonna be pretty cool yeah oh I yeah absolutely I've been very determined to make this a career and yeah I put my all into it and it absolutely is a huge part of who I am so I appreciate that (laughs) that's awesome so before we get into homework I wanted Mm -hmm. to ask you about something you did with Etcher Uh, so you did a little introduction course thing with them. Um, mm-hmm. I have a relationship with Etcher. I'm going to be giving away some of their sketchbooks. Uh, I just did a little giveaway a little while ago. We're doing mm-hmm. one coming up again uh, with a different type of uh, product that they make. But I wanted to ask you about that experience and mm-hmm. about teaching. Are you going to be doing more of that kind of thing? Did you enjoy that? Because you talked earlier about I don't. I just don't know how I do things. Sometimes I just do it, and so I'm wondering through that experience, did you, did it force you to kind of look at yourself from a different view to say, mm-hmm. okay, how am I doing this stuff? So maybe you can talk yeah. about teaching. What did, how, did you like it, and would you do it again? Yes, I did enjoy that. I had a little anxiety attack right before I went live. <laughs> you know, the self doubt starts, and I'm like, "You're gonna mess up. You're gonna mess up. Like, what are you doing?" And then I have to give myself that positive talk. Like, you paint every day. You figure it out. That's what you do. You don't know what you're doing. You just figure it out you're going to do it. And then it went smoothly, of course. It's just, and I know that's a big thing with artists. We have a lot of self-doubt for whatever reason, but it was a lot of fun. It was really cool that afterwards, uh, a couple of the attendees stayed on and and they showed me their work and they got to um, ask me questions and we got to chat. So that was, I just, I love, and I've always been intrigued or excited, I guess, by the fact that um, we can all start out with one idea or like the same reference, but it's all going to look different and based on our skills or based on how we do it or how much water we add or medium. And I just I think that is so cool. I love that. And I loved all of that. Would I do it again? Yeah, if I was asked to do it, I would do it again. And I do eventually want to do some painting tutorials. I've been thinking of starting a YouTube page. It's just a matter of having the time to do it because I have two children home with me over the summer right now. So I'm absolutely swamped with 
that and managing my commissions. I don't even have time right now to paint any of my own originals. Um, so hopefully once school starts back up, then I can find some more time to do things like that because, uh, it's nice. I do like helping other people and it connects you with other artists and it's, it's nice. I love the art community that I found on here for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, Mm. it is a challenge. I'm impressed that, um, as a artist mom that you're able to pull all this off and uh it's i i was a stay-at-home dad with both my my daughters but more specifically the the oldest one now mm-hmm. and um that's when i started to draw was with her just as a matter of way to entertain her but i can mm-hmm. i i really appreciate um the people that are able to pull this off in in their own house. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've talked about this with many artists that have had on here. Um, mm-hmm. And this idea of, you know, the network around you is sometimes so core to allowing you to get things done and finding those, those little crevices in your day to be able to do the things that you want to do. And uh, it gets a bit challenging, I would think, dealing with acrylics when you try to start something and then your child is like, I'm not watching this show today. I'm going to bother you. And it's like, no, my paint's going to dry. So (laughs) 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 this someone that gets it. Yes, it is. It is a struggle. It is absolutely. It's been amazing being home with my daughter. Uh, Yeah, I've been a, a stay at home mom. I turned into a work at home mom. Uh, it wasn't the plan, but I'm absolutely happy with how that happened. And, um, it, things have become a little more demanding. She's three now and I need her to get more out of her day and I need to get more out of my day. So she's starting daycare in September. So I'm, you know, bittersweet, going to miss her, <laughs> but it's her new chapter and it's mine because I think just having that dedicated time to my art in the day, I just think that will be incredible. And, um, I can't wait, but yeah, it's, it's, a it's a lot. And the way you described that was so perfect. I just, someone that gets it. I thank you. (laughs) (laughs) The acrylics drying and she wants me to change the Peppa Pig episode to Max and Ruby. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, (laughs) it, it, it is, but we always find the space. We find the space for people in our lives. We find the space for art. And I'm I'm glad you're continuing to find the space for your art. And uh, the fact that you've got this far, it does get easier. Like my kids, mm-hmm. uh, my daughters now are 19 and 16. It gets easier and it gets harder uh, because then you're, you know, ferrying them around for this, that, and the other thing. And it's, I need mm-hmm. this, you know, I, I need to decide whether the degree I'm in is the degree I should be doing. And it's like, oh, these are adult decisions. Can we just talk yeah. about Peppa Pig? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I know. They say soak it up for a reason because, yeah. Yep. One, oh, my goodness. That's too funny. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, uh, as I as I always do, for mm-hmm. homework. And I, I love hearing the homework from the guests I have on here because I've had you know, people like Robert Bateman and artists have been doing this for decades. And then Mm -hmm. others like yourself who've been doing this for, you know, under five or 10 years. And it's just so interesting to hear the difference in the homework. And Mm -hmm. I think the listeners always enjoy kind of taking away something that they can explore. So Alyssa, what would you recommend as homework for the listener? Yeah, I've really sat on this one because 
I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to suggest? And so I'm looking at what I'm working on now and it's a commission. I'm painting a mirror. And so I thought, okay, homework should be try creating art on a surface that you have not tried before. And I settled on that, really liked that because that's also what has led me to acrylics is that I tried it on cradled birch panels and I absolutely loved it, fell in love with it when I used to think I hated it because I had only tried it on canvas. So you might not think you really care for a medium or maybe you're getting bored of it or need a new challenge or try something different and just switching up the actual surface can make a major difference. I love that. Oh, <laughs> I love <thank> that. Because <laughs> I, I think I have a wood panel and now I'm thinking, and it's a small one. So maybe that could be what I also do with acrylic. Um, it is time. Tag me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I got to find time to do that. Um, and, and I would agree because I, I tried. And the, one of the most exciting things I tried this year was black watercolor paper yes and i had never done that before obviously i had to go in with a white gouache to give myself that background to work from but oh my it was so much fun so i'm going to get back to that as well so i would i think painting on a mirror painting on a wall you know a Mm -hmm. canvas you can't move i think that's that's a really good idea absolutely and i mean there's so much more that i still have to delve into i've seen um I think it's like clay ampersand panels or something like that. Yes. Am I saying that right? Um, yeah, I don't remember the name, but I had a previous guest talking about these clay panels. Yeah, and that just sounds very neat. And I feel like the surface would be smooth. I know absolutely nothing about it. I don't know if you prime it beforehand or what, but I want to try that. And I believe I've seen other artists painting on aluminum. Is that a thing? It may be. It may be. I mean, anything. Any You can paint anything. Anything right. is possible. So, I mean, I'm painting a mirror. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that homework. So, uh, I, w- I would, if you're listening to this and you're exploring your new medium, post mm-hmm. your, uh, post it as a, as, a, as a simple Instagram post or post it as a reel and make sure you tag a list in it because I think that would be kind of fun. Please do. I would love to see what magic comes out of that that would be amazing (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) so Alyssa, you um are are you still booking commissions for this year do you still have capacity oh my gosh right now i am booking for december and again my little one is starting daycare in september so i have no idea what that's going to look like in terms of how more efficiently i i mean I would hope I would get through my paintings more efficiently and then that'll free up some space and hopefully be able to get more done in those months. Right now I'm just booking about six per month to be safe because they are also bigger size paintings. Um, So I'm adjusting to how long all of these are taking me. Um, So long story short, I'm booking for December right now, third week of December. Okay. So if you're interested in Alyssa, you can reach out to her and she'll be honest with you about what she could do. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and before I ask people where they can find you, I'm curious, you know, you've, you're doing a lot of landscape work and with Nova Scotia and Halifax, it's just, it's just everywhere, right? Um, I'm wondering, where do you see yourself in like three years or five years as a matter of your, your subject? Oh my gosh. 
I tend obviously to keep changing and evolving, I guess. Uh, you know, I like one medium and I'm obsessed and then I like another one more. And, uh, (laughs) so right now I absolutely love landscapes. I've painted many different things over the past couple of years. And this is just, it feels so free to the first time I painted landscapes. I hated it by the way. I was not good at it. And again, I think that's why I like it now because I've worked towards it and figured it out more and learning. And I love oceans, but I really, it's so hard to know where I'll be and what direct, I just like to go with the flow. And if it's, I love landscapes, will it still be landscapes possibly? But who I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I must say, I absolutely love painting Nova Scotia and a big part of it is not only that it's it's near me but it has connected me with so many other Nova Scotians or people that have visited Nova Scotia that absolutely loved it that have gone back home and they want a piece to uh, memorialize that or people that used to live here that are now out west now they want a piece of home so I feel like I am like helping those people like bring those memories back and that just is so cool and amazing that I can be a part of that so I feel like that would continue through my work the next five years but things change I have no idea (laughs) yeah I I look at your your landscapes and I think that anyone who has a cottage a chalet or whatever that is possibly near water needs one of your pieces hanging in it thank you (laughs) hopefully they're listening (laughs) (laughs) they are they are brilliant and I will include a link to your Instagram Mm -hmm. which is watercolors make me smile and where else Mm -hmm. can people find you all of my social media handles are watercolors make me smile. So I'm also on TikTok and I am on Facebook. I am far less active on Facebook, but I am there. And I have a website as well, which is www.watercolors make me smile. And I think that's about it. I might get more into Pinterest. I keep seeing that we are supposed to be posting on Pinterest now, but that's just one more thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I agree. Yeah, so I think that's, that's incredible. I will include links to all of that in the show notes. I wanted to thank you, Alyssa, for coming on and talking about your journey. I think this is exciting for the artist who's looking at, you know, taking their art more seriously in the sense of, you know, selling their work, getting into it, uh, maybe leaving their current job and and pursuing this or even expanding their time, their spare time in between Peppa Pig and everything else to do their art. And so I appreciate you being honest and sharing all these stories with us. Uh, This has been incredible. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. I've been watching you from a distance and, and seeing your growth. And I just, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I had a really fun time talking with you and learning about you too. That's awesome. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Take care of yourself. I hope you have a great remainder of this year. I say remainder because we're now in August. But uh, uh, I hope that uh, it goes well for you. And I hope 23 brings some uh, interesting challenges and uh, some uh, some wonderful commissions and maybe some larger pieces of work as well. I like a challenge. I hope that as well. (laughs) Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks, Alyssa. Have a good one. You too. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.
Show notes, including links to everything Alyssa and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 83. If you enjoyed the show, please follow, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod.